Hey all, welcome to Beyond Consulting, the podcast dedicated to helping listeners navigate a career after consulting. I'm Stephen Haug, host of Beyond Consulting and director at ECA Partners. Each week on the podcast, we host folks who have spent some time in consulting, but have since made a pivot or a career change. Before we get started, I want to thank ECA Partners for sponsoring Beyond Consulting. ECA is an executive search and on-demand consulting firm specializing in former consultants and private equity. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Leo Gong, VP of Product at Apartment List and former Senior Associate Consultant at Bain. Leo, welcome to Beyond Consulting. Hey, Stephen. Good to be here. Great. Well, I want to jump into your consulting days. Do you mind telling us how you got into consulting? Yeah, so I actually had the fortune or misfortune of graduating kind of right in the middle of the global financial crisis back in 2008. I remember not getting my visa actually in the U.S. because I had graduated from Dartmouth. I had gotten a provisional visa at a consulting firm in Virginia. They couldn't secure a long-term visa for me. And so there I was without a job. The world was kind of collapsing and burning down around me. And you know, luckily managed to secure this one interview with one company, which was Bain. And that had kind of always been my, you know, dream company the entire time. I was really lucky. I was at an office in Sydney and they were not actually, I had my first couple of rounds of interviews actually at a hotel in Virginia where one of their Australian case team members was doing an overseas case. Did relatively well on that. And they asked me to fly to Sydney for my final round interview. Given that it was the middle of the financial crisis, they weren't actually willing to pay for my flight. So it's kind of like, a, hey, man, you know, really enjoyed speaking to you so far. If you're down for it, would love to have the final round in the office if you pay for your ticket. So that was really interesting. And I remember actually getting there on the interview day a couple of hours early and there was this park right next to the office and just sitting down on the park bench eating my sandwich and having kind of like a lose yourself moment you know Eminem like you've got one shot one opportunity it was literally one shot one opportunity and luckily everything went well and ended up getting an offer I felt super lucky had an amazing three years at Bain I worked in the Sydney office the Melbourne office the Singapore office and then the San Francisco office I think it was a great career accelerant. Met and made a bunch of friends. It was a great time. So a lot of effort went into securing this position at Bain. You mentioned it was a company you were very excited to work for. Whenever you got the position, did you plan on being a career consultant or did you always see it as just a a stepping stone on your way to, to other positions? Yeah, I honestly wasn't sure at that point in time. And I went into the time at Bain pretty open to whatever it could be. And I think a lot of it was just watching the managers, the partners, were they living the kind of life that I wanted? Were they having the kind of career that I wanted? Were they working on the kind of things that I wanted? And over time, kind of just realizing that I didn't really enjoy the jet-setting lifestyle quite as much. I really wanted to embed myself into a industry or position for a long time. And I think finally, also, I was just really passionate about tech. And I think that was ultimately the thing that drew me outside of Bain. And if I could actually just go into that story, it was a really weird path out of Bain, actually. I was working in San Francisco because I had just done a, I think, six months to a year long stint in Singapore where I was working grueling hours. I was doing 100 hour work weeks. 
And I think the office staffing coordinator back in Sydney just took pity on me because she was like, man, this guy's been like off the charts on the working hours this whole time. We should send him somewhere that he really wants to go. And so they sent me to San Francisco where I really wanted to be because I wanted to work back in the U.S. for a little bit. I really wanted to get closer to tech. San Francisco was obviously the best place to do that. And so I was working, you know, on my consulting cases in San Francisco when one of my friends from Australia came to visit, just like on a work trip or whatever. We caught up. I ended up dropping him off on a cab back at his hotel. And on the cab, like that five to 10 minute ride, he asked me, hey, man, like, I know you've always been really into startups and into tech. Like, have you been working on or thinking about any interesting ideas? And I pitched him on this idea, this idea of like, I'm a new transplant in San Francisco. I'm always trying to organize activities and try to figure out who wants to go out and hang out on weekends. It'd be really cool to have like a social networky kind of an app that helps you discover what friends and friends of friends are interested in doing together and be able to plan trips around that. So, you know, I thought that was it. We bid our goodbyes. And then two weeks later, he calls me on Skype and he's like, hey, Leo, you know, I've been so excited about this idea that you pitched me two weeks ago. I haven't been able to sleep. And so, you know what? I just quit my job. And I'd love to fly over and work on this with you. And my response was just, you know, pure shock. <laughs> Where did this come from? Should we have maybe talked about this before you decided to quit your job? But I think that was kind of the push I needed to go and take this a little bit more seriously. I thought about it. I agonized over it a fair amount. I spoke to some of my friends and they basically just said, hey, for as long as we've known you, we've known that you've really been interested in tech. It's pretty obvious to us what you should do, even if it's not obvious to you. And I figured my friends knew me better than I did. But I also, in more seriousness, I, I actually thought about what's the worst thing that could happen? And just realizing that the worst thing that could happen is I would start my own company in tech and fail and have an experience that's much more related to tech and startups than a consulting gig would have. So there wasn't really much to lose. So it made a lot of sense. And that's how I actually moved out of consulting. So left consulting just to, to start your own business with a friend, it sounds like. Yep. Tell us about that journey. Did the company take off? Was the company, did you build what you initially set out to build or did it turn into something else? Yeah. So I ended up teaching myself how to code. I taught myself how to, like, we hired an engineer that kind of like set up the core parts of the platform, which then allowed me to ease my way into it, kind of be like, okay, if I tweak this, what would happen? If I like wrote that, what would happen? But I basically taught myself PHP, like MySQL, HTML, CSS, all that regular basic stuff. And we launched it. We beta tested it with our friends. There was a lot of good engagement, good feedback. And, and we actually like went and took part in, you know, various different startup, you know, like events and things like that. And actually assembled a Motley crew of engineers, like BD people working on this, still bootstrapped. The problem was, once again, visa issues. So I was an immigrant in the U.S. and I had just left my job, which was sponsoring my visa. And so I couldn't really stay in the U.S. So I kind of bounced around from here to Singapore. And then I ended up having to bounce from Singapore about a year later. So at that point, we hadn't secured funding. I had pitched in front of a regional Southeast Asian startup conference and got featured you know, by VentureBeat. And that was great. But I had a choice. I was like... I can't work on a social networking startup in Singapore anymore. I can't do it in the US. The one place where I could do it in was Australia. And Australia just isn't the right place to do a social media startup. It's huge landmass. The internet adoption and wireless speed and all of that isn't actually as great. 
just didn't have the density that you needed to really get a social networking start off, off the ground. And so I decided to basically buy a plane ticket to the U.S., and uh, hit the streets and see if I could find a job in tech that would sponsor me. And basically the idea was I'm going to put my founder dreams on hold, pick, I think, a company that I found really interesting, just immerse myself in the tech industry that way. What was the next job that you got? Yeah. So that's also a really funny story. I actually flew to San Francisco. I crashed at my now wife's house. So that's a whole nother story. I crashed on a couch. But the next morning I woke up early, I took the train into uh, Union Square and I went into the nearest Apple store and I went to one of the public terminals over there and I looked up a bunch of companies that I really liked. I looked up Dropbox. I think I had like Yelp and you know a couple of other companies. I then sent my resume to a friend who was working two blocks away and asked her to print out some resumes. I walked over, met her downstairs, picked up the resumes and then I just like, went to each of the physical offices and went to drop off my resume. I didn't realize, I still don't really understand why it was such a weird thing. I got just completely weirded out looks when I walked into an office being like, hey, I'm really interested in this role that you have on your website and I want to apply for it. Here's my resume. Uh, but Dropbox was one of those places and my resume got reviewed by a fellow Bainey actually and went through the interview process there, which took a little while, but eventually got an offer. And that's how I ended up at Dropbox. I think I was probably employee 190 something, like joined right when they were in the midst of expanding. They were only taking off maybe a quarter of the office space. You had to take a scooter from one end to the other. In the two to three years uh, I was at Dropbox, I think it basically scaled from 200 to like seven to 800. So it was an exciting time. What was your job at Dropbox? Yeah, I got hired to join their business operations team. So what that team did was it was kind of a team made up of previous management consultants or investment bankers that tended to be from a founder or more of a technical background. And they were tasked with basically all of the strategic, undefined problems and areas in the business. So we kind of treated them almost like a, you know, a SEAL team. Like you would drop them in on a problem, they would kind of figure it out and they would create a playbook for how to scale it and then hire or just bring in full-time people to actually scale it out and they'd move on to something else. So for instance, what I worked on when I joined was I took over the Salesforce instance. I became a Salesforce admin. I built, I think, some of the first few Salesforce dashboards that Dropbox ever used. At that point in time, we had six inbound sales reps. And so I was kind of reviewing their performance. I was setting you know, processes. I was building automations for like round robining of inbound leads to the right salespeople within Salesforce. Just a lot of these random things that eventually a full-time Salesforce admin took over. Some of the other business ops people worked on things like migrating Dropbox's servers from, I think uh, it was probably Amazon servers at the time to their own in-house servers, right? Those were other projects and other ones of them became PMs within the company itself as well. I'm rewinding here a little bit, but want to ask a question that I think a lot of our, a lot of consultants might have your entrepreneurs. Whenever you move from consulting to starting your own business, was the consulting toolkit sufficient to found and grow a business? Or did you learn that there are some other skills that, that would be helpful? Yeah, it definitely isn't sufficient. I do feel like it was very helpful. It was, I think, probably one of the best accelerators or it gave you one of the most complete-ish skill sets that you needed. 
I think what it gives you is a great degree of comfort in uncomfortable and unfamiliar situations. I think as a management consultant, what you're kind of taught is you can go in and figure anything out. Tenure doesn't really matter as much as just, I think, the right ability to tackle a problem. I think that's really helpful from a founder point of view, because you're going to be doing multiple jobs at any point in time. You're going to be training the path that no one else has tripped before. And so that mentality and the ability to improvise and create structure around it is super, super helpful. I think it also sets you up really well in terms of communicating, creating a business plan, thinking strategically about the business and all of those things. The thing that I think I had to kind of learn on my own was technical ability. I had to teach myself very, very quickly. The other piece was people management. As a management consultant, you're always working with a team that's probably the same amount of motivation, the same amount of skill level. You go through a bunch of onboarding in your company where they really invest in everybody being able to speak the same language, right? Like they can just refer to answer first, that bane, and everybody instantly knows what that means. Like, okay, that's the framework we're going to go apply. That's very different when you're trying to start your own company where you're not going to be necessarily able to bring in people from Ivy Leagues and management consulting firms from the start. Like there's going to be a variety of people at different skill levels that you need to learn how to manage. Some a little bit more closely, some a little less, less closely, each of different levels of motivation. So that was something different that you really had to learn. And I think the last one that was probably the hardest for me was just ownership. I remember at Bain, I think the transition from a associate consultant to senior associate consultant, they really emphasize ownership being a big part of what unlocks the next stage of growth. I think going from that to a founder is a completely different level because, I mean, there's going from consulting into the industry, right? Where people talk about, oh, you don't get to drop a slide deck and walk away. You're actually held accountable to your decisions. It's on a whole nother level then to be the one person in the company where all the decisions ultimately fall on you. So it's like that feeling of accountability multiplied by 100. So waking up and going to bed every day, feeling the brunt of every single win and every single loss, like that was actually fairly difficult of a transition to make. That's really insightful and interesting, Leo. Thanks for sharing that. We can jump back in to Dropbox. You were there during a very high growth period from Dropbox. What were you thinking toward the end of your two years or so there? What drove you to to the next opportunity? Yeah, I think I've really always viewed, I think, my move into business operations as a stepping stone into product management. I kind of knew that product management was where I wanted to be. Having tasted the various different roles as a founder uh, for my startup, I kind of realized product strategy is something I'm really, really interested in. And so after two and a half years, I essentially had an opportunity to join a startup as their very first PM hire to essentially build a product that I had built internally at Dropbox. At that point in time at Dropbox, I was essentially really deep in sales operations. And Dropbox had a problem at that point in time, which was they had way too many inbound leads. Too many people were interested in business product and we didn't have enough salespeople. And so that was a prioritization problem, which is kind of nice to have. And what I ended up building was a a model that looks at historical conversion data, like out of all the people who reached out, who ended up buying, who ended up not buying, what were the characteristics that helped you predict in the future, who's likely to buy versus not. And I built that essentially into a simple model with some workflows in Salesforce that allowed sales reps to then prioritize their, their leads and time accordingly. And the company that was recruiting me essentially was trying to sell that as a service. Like they had a data science team that would build automatically pull data from other people's CRMs, build a model, build a workflow around that. So it made a lot of sense. 
Interesting. So how was the, you've spent a lot of time in early stage companies. Is that, what is it about high growth or very early stage that you find particularly interesting? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that makes these high growth, smaller companies interesting. I think the most obvious one is obviously, you know, the equity could potentially be worth a lot or nothing. But, you know, I think as human beings, we're all optimistic. And so we tend to value the upside a little bit more, especially when you're young. That's one. I think number two is just the fluidity of roles, I think is really interesting, especially for someone like me who is coming out of management consulting. I really liked this whole, you have a different problem or challenge every couple of months that you had in consulting. And I think you get that plus the ownership at a smaller startup where it could even shift day to day, if not week to week, right? Like it could be one fire on Monday and a different fire on Wednesday in a positive way, right? It's an exciting fire, but you're working on something very different at different points in time. I think that's a really uh, huge appeal. And then the last thing is when you're trying to make a role change, when you're going from something like management consulting to product management, there's really two different paths. I imagine a lot of your listeners, you know, think about how do I move into something like product management? as a management consultant. I've basically seen two paths that work pretty well. One path is for you to be hired into more of a business role at a small startup. And because the roles are so fluid and because the business is growing so quickly, if you prove yourself, it's actually pretty easy for you to know the right person, the right hiring manager to then you know facilitate a move, right? Because there's probably 20, 30, 50 people around, everybody knows each other. That's one path that I took that I've seen a lot of people take pretty successfully. The other path that you could take is you could go the MBA route, which is what I've seen a lot of people do there. You do the MBA and then a lot of these larger companies like Meta, Google, et cetera, they have intake programs into product management specifically geared towards MBAs. But you know, again, I chose that former path. That's helpful advice. And we can, of course, chat about some of the other roles you've had as well, but I'm really interested in your current position as VP of product at Apartmentless. You've been at Apartmentless for almost five years now. Can you tell us about that journey? Yeah, it's definitely been a very interesting one. I joined first as a director of products on the supply side. They had hired me to build out a product for what they call the long tail. So think of rentals as different types of buildings. So you've got these really large multifamily buildings. Think of it as like the luxury, you know, 200 units in a apartment building tower. And then on the other end of it, you've got these single family buildings where it might be owned by you know regular people like you and I, like we rent out a room or rent out a house or whatever that might be. Apartment list, hopefully the name didn't give it away, like has a lot of supply sitting on the apartment side. And they had hired me to essentially figure out how do we tap into the single family space? So that's what I was hired to do. I came in and then I kind of did my management consulting thing. I'd be like, why do we want to do this? Does it actually make sense? Is this the right time for us to do this? How well does this actually fit into our core business? And we ended up not doing it. I kind of talked the business out of doing that for now. And we ended up launching another product instead, which was more geared towards getting folks to pay varying levels of prices, depending on their level of need for varying amounts of exposure on our site, which ended up being pretty successful for the business. That's funny. I want to pause there to think about that. So you were hired to do a job. The first thing you did in that position was... Talk myself. Yeah. So, hey, you yeah. don't need me to do this. That's a bad idea. Don't do it. Yeah. And to be fair, like it wasn't like... I was pretty upfront about it in the interview process. And in a way, I actually think that gave a lot of extra points in my favor. I was pretty clear that I had some doubts and I would ask questions. 
the COO who actually hired me, like he would joke like years after I joined. I remember when I was trying to sell Leo on apartment list, he showed up to our conversation with two pages worth of questions and notes, right? Like that was my approach going in. And so I think they hired me because they liked the fact that I was thinking really critically about what their strategy is. As a startup, I think that's really crucial for a product management leader. Given so many things are undefined, you don't want an order taker. You want someone who's really thinking critically about what to do. And so I think that ended up working well for me. What's your job look like now as a VP of product? Yeah. So the shift from being a director or senior director to VP is one where I focus now more on the entire business strategy as opposed to maybe product specific strategy. So what do I mean by that? Let's say you split our business into its core levers. So there's acquiring renters. We always want more renters. And then we always want more supply. And then you always want a really efficient way to match the renters with the supply. And then you want to get paid a good average dollar amount each time that you successfully create that match, right? Each of these levers actually would require multifunctional initiatives to drive improvements to that lever. So let's say, for instance, you want to unlock additional supply. That would mean you need to identify a new segment. You need to identify a value prop for that segment. You need to market that value prop. You need to develop and build the value prop. And then you need salespeople to go and sell to the right people. So as a VP, you're sitting more at the level where you're coordinating these like multi-functional investments. And I'm thinking a lot more about org design, roles of responsibilities. So two parts, are we investing in the right things? And then are we setting up the teams to work on those things? Whereas for a director, you're more maybe working specifically on one of those areas where it's, okay, we want to target the segment. What is our product strategy for doing that? And then what's the execution pathway to get there? You've been in apartment list for quite a while now. I'd say certainly a very long time for what we usually see in the Bay Area, actually, in, in tech roles. What's kept you around the company for so long? Yeah, I think for me, it's a couple of things. I think one is every year I've gotten a new challenge. I think moving through a bunch of different roles from director to senior director to VP, I think has given me a lot of exposure to what that career pathway looks like. And there's a new challenge in something new that I'm trying to get better at every year. So I think like that trajectory of personal growth has really kept me here. I think the second part is when I look at the company and the industry, I can't resist. I did a lot of PE work as a management consultant. So whenever I'm evaluating a company, I do my due diligence, right? And so when you look at this space and industry that we're in, which is uh, rentals, it's one of the few marketplaces that I feel is not fully won yet. If you think about, let's say, flights, or if you think about accommodations, or if you think about buying regular daily consumer products, you've got you know the Google flights, or you have like the hotels.com, or you have the Amazons where I think they've really innovated on the user experience and maybe like built vertical integration into that entire chain in a really meaningful way that really entrenches that as the new experience and them as the new incumbent. When you look at rentals, you have Zillow, you've got apartments.com, you've got apartment list. I feel like the space has yet to be won because the incumbents, which are apartments.com as well as Zillow, the interfaces, the way it works is still so old school. You can't transact. It feels more like a digital classifieds experience as opposed to a true marketplace experience, right? And so that's why I'm here in this industry. And Apartmentalist is because out of all of the players who are trying to disrupt what this could look like, this is 
kind of like the Goldilocks of the right size in terms of scale. It's not a 20-person startup with you know amazing ideas. It's actually a profitable company that's been around for a while with a pretty large supply footprint that's able to push some of the change. But it's also a company that's thinking about things differently enough, whereas I think like some of the incumbents, I think I'd be trying to push a boat up the hill. You're in a leadership role now, and of course, you've been in several leadership positions throughout your career. I expect you are involved in some hiring. Do you hire former management consultants? Yeah, I'm actually a huge fan of hiring former management consultants. What I really like about former management consultants is you can feel pretty confident that they're going to come in and be able to break down a relatively complicated problem figure out a solution without getting too stuck in the weeds on pulling data and, you know, like being stuck in analysis paralysis. And most of the time, they're going to be pretty good storytellers. And I think that's almost half, if not more, of the PM role. And so I think personally, management consulting has been a huge boon for me in my career. And I try to look out for people with similar backgrounds as well, because I do think that sets them up for success here. For consultants who are eager to move into the product space, Is there anything that they should be prepared to answer to in interviews for those positions? I think like I mentioned, it kind of depends on your pathway. If you're going in through a startup, I think it's a little bit more rare that you're going to be able to go straight into a PM role from a management consulting role, unless you've worked on something that is within the same domain area where you can bring domain expertise. But I think if you're going from an MBA program, definitely there's a series of questions. That said, if the question is, what are the types of questions to expect during your product management interview? I think a lot of them are actually pretty similar to uh, management consultant questions. Like, hey, if you were the PM for Uber in charge of the ride hailing app, like how would you measure success and what would you do differently? I think what we really try to look for is someone who's able to break down a business driver into its multiple component pieces and then layer on like a pretty good uh, user intuition and design intuition on top of that and then be able to put a framework around prioritization and then push that across, which is actually very, very similar to the typical management consulting question that I got back in the day, which is, hey, if profits are going down, what would you do about a business, right? Like you do a very similar kind of prioritization exercise. Leo, is there anything else that we should have talked about that we didn't? I would say... As someone who switched from management consulting into product management, it definitely was a very challenging journey. I think uh, I made it sound pretty easy. Oh, like I went inside my own company and no big deal. I went and joined Dropbox and then easy peasy, I joined as a Series A PM. But I think each of those transitions was really scary. And then for some of them, they were not straightforward. So maybe if I could go into that really, really briefly. I think a really big mindset change or maybe a really difficult challenge a lot of management consultants could have with switching careers is just not having that level of certainty, especially if you're switching into a career into a startup. Because you're going from, I've got my next 10 years career path, like kind of laid out. I can see clear examples of people in terms of like how they move through each stage and the criteria are pretty clear to me. It's one where I don't even know if this company is going to exist in a year. Right. And I think that's really scary. I think my main advice there is to just remind yourself or ask yourself, what is the worst that could happen? You're a management consultant. You're pretty versatile. You're a smart person. You're capable. This is just going to add another really, really interesting story into your resume. And I think you can leverage that for pretty amazing additional, better experiences further down the line. 
So that would be one piece of advice. And I think the second piece is switching into product management is one of the hardest things because it is just a very difficult function to break into. Make sure to use your network and think about what's your easier path, like going to a startup and then transitioning to the role or like going through an MBA program. But don't lose heart. It's tough, but once you make it in, it's pretty worth it. Thanks, Leo. I think that's excellent advice and really appreciate you spending some time with us on Beyond Consulting. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It was really fun.